Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and I have the honor to introduce today's message to you as we continue our series called This Means War. If you are a follower of Christ, you are engaged in a war whether you recognize it or not. In week two, we draw principles for the battle out of a war between Israel and the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. And so let's get ready to step out onto the battlefield. Good morning. Welcome once again. We are here for part two in our series, This Means War. And uh, last week, we started this series off by laying a foundation that we serve a God who is at war. Um, All throughout the pages of the Old and New Testament, when you start from the beginning of the Bible and read all the way through to the end, you see time after time, image after image of spiritual war, of spiritual conflict, of God engaged in battle against Satan and his dark forces. And the deal with that is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you call God your heavenly father, you are part of his family, and because of that, you are engaged in this war as well. And there's no option for you to say, I don't want to be a part of it. Last week, we talked about a soldier on the front lines who deserted the troops. And when we say, we don't want to be a part of that, and we step back here and we say, you know what, I'm going to stay out of the war, just we're like a soldier who's deserted the troops and left them up there to be exposed. And if we expect something to be done for a soldier who's deserted the real troops here in this world, then we should expect us to receive something, some sort of discipline, some sort of punishment, some sort of issues, if we have deserted the Heavenly Father and His army. And so from that discussion, we dug into the question of how can we identify when we are in spiritual conflict and when something is just a part of life. Because a lot of things are just a part of life, aren't they? Things just happen in life. And the first thing that we looked at that could be an indicator that we are engaged in spiritual warfare is if you are experiencing unusual conflict in your life. So if there's conflict in your life, that's not a sign of spiritual warfare because as long as you're alive, as long as you're in relationships with people, it doesn't matter who those people are, your husband, your wife, your children, your mother, your father, your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever, there are always going to be times and points of conflict in any relationship. There's no way around that. But if suddenly the conflict becomes unusual, like you go from having an argument with your spouse from one day uh, a a week or a month to all of a sudden you're arguing with them every day or a couple of times a day or every time you see them you're ready to throw down, that is a sign that you could be in spiritual conflict. And so if you see an increase in conflict in your life, that could be a sign. A second sign Uh, that you could be in spiritual conflict is recurring or unusual temptation. And so i got to clarify that because uh, what what that means is this, okay? So, and I gave this illustration last week, and so whatever, I'm just going to give it again. Um, If there's something in your life that you've broken free from, a sin that you've been set free from, like say you're a crack addict, and all of a sudden you've been set free from smoking crack, and then four years down the road, all of a sudden you just feel this incredible temptation to smoke crack once again. Well, the deal there is that is an unusual temptation because you've been set free. And so that could be a sign that there's something spiritual going on there. And unusual, it's like if you've never been tempted to smoke crack, and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'd like to go hit a pipe right now. That could be a sign that you're under spiritual attack as well. A third sign, unusual 
illness. Another one that needs to be defined because illness is a part of this world. Illness is a part of life. Illness happens on a regular basis. When it, when we, when it comes into a place where it's part of this spiritual conflict is when the illness becomes unusual, becomes strange, where it becomes something that we didn't expect or hits us from out of nowhere. It's not, you know, when all of our kids go back to school tomorrow and all of a sudden a week from now everyone in your household is sick. That's not spiritual warfare. That's just all the kids got together and were swapping spit and stuff, and everybody got sick, okay? But really, it comes down to this. If it has the potential to throw you off track in what Jesus is doing in your life, it is most likely a part of this spiritual battle we are in. And so that's where we went last week, and so we're going to head into um, today, uh, we're going to look how to engage in this war and fight the battles that we face. And to answer this question, it's going to take us several weeks in several different sections of Scripture. Today we're going to start in the book of Exodus with Moses and the army of Israel. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 17 today, reading verses 8 through 16. And so if you know where it's at, you're, uh, I would welcome you to turn there. Um, but, but this section, the book of Exodus, is basically the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt and their journey to the promised land. Um, it's, it's this whole thing, you know, in there we've got Moses going on a mountain and getting some more things from God, but, but it, it's mostly about their journey to the promised land. And uh, this event that, we look, that we're going to look at this morning is actually the Israelites' first armed conflict after they come out of Egypt and escaped escape from the Egyptians. And so I'm going to read this. If you weren't able to find it in your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held, up, held his hands up, one, uh, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write on a scroll, at, um, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And so... So let's dig into this text right here in regards to spiritual warfare. And so we got the Amalekites. They came and they attacked the Israelites. And so the first question that probably would pop into my head, or that pops into my head, I don't know if it popped into yours, but who are these Amalekites? I mean, where did they come from? And, and who these guys are is they're the descendants of Amalek, and Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Now, who is Esau, you may be saying, because these names just don't mean anything to you. Well, Esau is the brother of Jacob. Who is Jacob? Well, Jacob is the one who that God changed his name to Israel, and he was the one who ultimately birthed this nation, Israel, that the Amalekites are coming up to fight against right now. And so what does that mean? This means that this is kind of a family conflict, if you think about it. 
It's Esau's two sons, generations later, fighting a battle in the desert over a piece of land. And here's what I think is going on there. See, Joshua was given a promise, or not Joshua, Jacob was given a promise by God. The promise given to Jacob was this, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey and your people will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That was the blessing that was given to Jacob. That was God's promise to Jacob. Well, here's the deal. The Amalekites were living in the region of God's promise. And so when they saw the Israelites coming up out of Egypt and getting ready to enter into the promised land, they saw it as a threat to themselves. They knew that the fulfillment of God's promise was going to mean they were going to lose something they thought belonged to them. And see, we undergo spiritual attack for the same reason. Satan looks at those who follow Jesus in the same way. He looks at those who follow Jesus as somebody who's out there to try and destroy what belongs to Satan. Because followers of Jesus were to be out there grabbing people and rescuing them from the hands of hell, bringing them in to the kingdom of heaven. And Satan says, those are my people. This is my planet. I don't want any Christians to have any part, have their hand upon it because it's mine. It belongs to me. Satan views God's promises as a threat to his kingdom. And so he responds in the same way that the Amalekites did to the threat that was coming at them. Satan will fight. Now there's another similarity between us and Israel here as well, and that is the Israelites had just come out of 400 years of slavery. Well, while they were in slavery, I'm fairly confident that the Egyptians were not training them on the latest military techniques and how to fight in a war, right? Because if they would have trained them how to fight, that would have given the Israelites some skills and ability in order to rise up against the, the, uh, the Egyptians and, and, and fight them and attack them. And so they didn't give them that skill. And so when Israel heads out into battle, they are facing a trained army who knows how to fight and they know nothing, the Israelites. And you can see kind of in their strategy, and I'm not going to bore you with the grammar and word meaning research here, but in verse 8 where it says they came and attacked what the writer actually wrote there is that they came and attacked the far edges of the camp over and over again. Why is that important? So I want you to think of some shows you've watched on TV where like a lion, the lions are hunting a herd of antelope. Is that what they hunt? I don't know. Whatever, zebras, name an animal that they hunt. I mean, they'll kill anything, right? Um, so, so what do they do? Okay, so they've got this pack of antelope what do the lions go after? They go after those who are lagging behind, right? Who's lagging behind? The babies, the sick, the elderly, those who are worn out from the journey. And that's what's going on here. The text tells us that the Amalekites, rather than coming directly at the nation of Israel in their armies, they go at the fringes. They go after those who are old. They go after the young. They go after the tired. They go after all of those things. They pick off the sick, the old, and leave the rest. And here is the parallel to our life. See, we've not been trained for this war either. 
Many of us have spent years or even decades enslaved to the enemy, and because of it, we have not been trained in how to fight against him. On the other hand, the enemy is totally prepared and trained. He has spent thousands of years preparing and honing his ability to attack us, attack us and he does the same thing that the Amalekites did to the Israelites. He looks to the edge of our life. See, he looks to those areas that are lagging behind in our walk with Jesus. He looks for those areas of fear rather than faith. He looks for those areas of anxiety rather than peace. He looks for those areas that we are not following Jesus in, and he attacks them. See, any area of sin is a vulnerability in our life that gives Satan a place to attack because it's weak. He does that because he knows that those are areas that we are the most vulnerable in and those are the areas that can bring us down. And if you're undergoing an attack right now, the first thing that I would say and challenge you is to look at the areas of your life that are out there on the fringes and away from Jesus, making them vulnerable to the enemy's attack. Paul tells us, uh, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 28, read, um, this is what it says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 28. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, each of you must put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down where you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I read that whole section because, yes, in there it says, do not give the devil a foothold, but it points out exactly what they mean by giving the devil a foothold. In any area of our life that's corrupted by the sinful desires, any area of our life that is given over to our former life, any way that is not like God into righteousness in holiness, if you find those areas, do what you can to change them and keep them from being a place to be attacked. Keep them from being a weakness in your life. So you say, well, how do I do that? How do we build up the defenses to make sure we limit those areas in our life? Well, the first thing is that each and every single day we need to ask God to search our hearts and reveal any sin in us. And the key word in that phrase is to ask God if there's anything there. Because for most of us, we can ask ourselves, but how we determine how sinful or what sins are in us is, instead of looking inward, most of the time, we will look outward. And we will say, well, compared to this person over here, I'm pretty solid. 
I don't got to worry about anything. But see, God won't do that. He will take a flashlight and he will go deep down into our heart and find all kinds of junk, find all kinds of garbage, find, find all kinds of craziness down in there and pull it up and reveal it to us. That's why it's important for us to do that because we'll see something in our heart and we'll say, man, oh, that's not really a big deal. I mean, come on. God's got bigger sins to be worried about than that. No. Any sin is a big sin to God. We've got to get out of this mentality of trying to classify everything and that I'm not doing the big ones. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm only doing the little ones and so I'm good. It's the ones that's doing the big ones that God is concerned about. No, that's not the case. God is concerned about every single sin in our lives and he wants to root all of it out of there. He doesn't just want to take out the things that we think are big. He wants to take out all. And that's another problem. We talked about this Wednesday night, and I'm going to say it again, but our mind is messed up when it comes to thinking about the big things. Okay? See, the big sin, the number one sin, the sin that destroys most people is the first commandment. There's a reason why the first commandment is what it is. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the most important thing to God. He does you know, it's not like, we, we get all these classifications. We think, well, man, if I'm not, you know, uh, uh, having sex outside of marriage, and if I'm not uh, doing drugs, and if I'm not doing this and that, I'm okay. No, the number one sin is having other gods before God. And I know that when I sit down and I look in my heart, I can always see places that I'm putting other things besides God at first place in my life. And then once those areas have been exposed, once God has searched our heart, we need to repent. We need to go to God, confess it, and ask for forgiveness. But once we've asked for forgiveness, we can't just stop there. We've got to make sure that we are on the alert for that area in our life to make sure that we keep that out of there. And that's the first step in being victorious in this spiritual battle. Allowing God to search our hearts and shoring up those outer edges of our life that are weak, that are sick, that are old, and leave us vulnerable to attack. All right, what's next? So the attack comes at Israel. What did the Israelites do? They put together an army and sent them out to fight, and they also sent Moses to the top of the hill. It says that the top of the hill, he took the staff of God in his hand, and he raised up his hands high in the air. And it doesn't say this in the text, but what is believed is going on there is that when Moses took his hands and lifted them up in the air, that was when he began to pray for the nation and the armies of Israel. He began to pray, he began to intercede, he began to speak to God, he began to engage in the spiritual battle. There are 146 times in the Bible that raised hands is a posture and sign of prayer. And I wanna, I'm, I'm assuming here that that's what Moses was doing because he looked at the situation. He looked at his untrained troops, quote unquote, with an untrained general, Joshua, and looked at these trained soldiers who were coming at his army and he said, man, if we don't pray, we're in big trouble. And so he got up there and he prayed. And 
And it's at this point that I kind of want to clear my throat and say, hint, hint. Because for many believers, when the spiritual attack comes at us, that's generally not our first response to the situation. Especially here in America, a spiritual attack comes and we'll say to ourselves, man, you know what I need? I need a vacation. You know what I need? I need some mall therapy. I just need, I need a night out on the town, man. If I do these things, then some of this stuff will just go away. Okay, so let's switch that over a little bit. Let's say someone was attacking your family. You got someone, just whatever, whatever you want to picture. I don't want to paint any sort of gory, crazy scenario here for you guys, but someone's attacking your family. What would your response be if somebody was attacking your family? Would it be to do anything you could to defend your family against the attacker? See, that's our response when our family gets attacked, but when the enemy comes in and attacks us, why don't you take your family to the mall in that situation? Why don't you go on a vacation? Maybe that'll take care of the situation. No, what we do is we engage in the fight, and that's what God is saying here. Listen, look, when the fight comes, it's time to get involved, to get engaged, to defend yourself, to defend your family, to defend everything. And not just defend it, but get into God's presence and pray like Moses prayed. It says that the entire time the battle went on, he prayed. See, too many of us, we pray a prayer, dear God, make the battle stop. Then we're like, man, nothing happened. Well, you know, God just doesn't answer prayers. You spent 10 seconds. Let's be real here. If Moses, a man who is far holier than any of us probably ever will be in this room, had to spend the whole day in prayer to intercede for the army of his nation, what makes us think it's going to be different for us? But what am I supposed to say? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to pray. Well, let's go back to the text. And looking at that situation that the Israelites were in, I don't think there was a whole lot Moses could pray other than something like, God, fight before our troops and give them the victory. And it's my guess that he repeated something like that over and over and over and over again. See, it's not wrong to keep repeating, to keep asking the same thing over and over and over again. God doesn't sit there and go, well, you know, I'm really waiting for you to get more creative in your prayer and then I'm going to answer it. You know, give me some cool stuff in your prayer. Make up some cool words. Get, you know, give, use some of them big English words that you know, and then I'll answer your prayer. No, that's not what God does. I mean, he understands when we come to him and when we say, God, I'm under attack, help. God, I'm under attack, help. God, I'm under attack, help. Think about your kids. You just made some fresh baked cookies, and they're sitting there on the counter, and your kids come up. I want a cookie, Mom. Not right now. Five minutes later, I want a cookie, Mom. That keeps going on and on and on and on until what happens? Take the stupid cookie! We go to God over and over and over again. 
That's what it tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says we are to knock and keep on knocking, ask and keep on asking, and then the door will be opened for us. He responds in that continuity, in that going into battle and praying, even if it's a six-second prayer, over and over and over again as we face the battle. But also in that prayer, don't forget to allow the Holy Spirit to pray as well. And I'm going to read Romans 8, 26 and 27, and then we'll talk about what it means. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is there to pray with you, to pray for you in those places that we do not know how or what to pray. What does it look like? I can't tell you what it looks like for every person, but I can guarantee you that if you're feeling some sort of inner groaning inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit rising up and trying to get into your situation and to pray for you. And so allow whatever the Holy Spirit is doing within you to come out here, and that's going to be the Holy Spirit interceding on behalf of you for your situation. And he knows what's going on. The Holy Spirit can see all of this spiritual stuff that's going on out here that our our, our eyes are not in tune to. And so he knows what to speak. He knows what to pray. He knows how to intercede. And so allow him to do that. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I know sometimes people get weird with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not weird. Just allow him to come and pray through you to speak those things to God that you don't know to say. And in that, it's going to help and engage uh, the forces and presence of God in your fight and in your battle. Then the last piece here and how we can start to engage the enemy and fight is with What happened to Moses? Something happened to Moses when he was praying. He got tired. Their response to this is the next piece for us to see victory in the spiritual war. So what was the response of Moses getting tired? He got help praying. He got Aaron and her to come alongside of him and partner in praying with him. See, the battle was so long, the battle was so tough that Moses was not going to make it alone. He needed help. And when we are in spiritual battles as well, we need help. We cannot stand there and fight battles on our own by ourselves because we get tired, we get weary, and we need other people to come alongside of us. We need other people to come and stand next to us and pray with us in the battle. And for so many believers, this is becoming increasingly difficult Why is that? Because more and more believers are deciding they don't need the body of Christ to live a Christian life. It's just not possible. You need to have other followers of Jesus who walk alongside of you to help you as you fight and battle. And the only way you get into a spot where you can have other believers around you to fight the battle is where you're in a place where you can meet other believers and build relationships with other believers so they can help you in the fight. 
I read a stat last, 44% of, of some group of, of people who are Christians believe that being in a church is no longer necessary because they can manage life alone. The Bible does not give us that kind of option. God put us together. He put us here so that we can be partnered together, so that we can be uh, partners with each other to hold other people's hands up in the war. Well, but I don't want other people to know my business. Well, here's the deal. You need to find some people who you think are safe to know your business because you need to have somebody to fight with you in the battle or you are never going to be victorious. You are never going to win the fight if you don't have others around you helping you engage in the battle. So not only do we pray with our words, pray in the Spirit, and have people around us help fight the battle, but then the last thing we need is the staff of God. What's the staff of God? Well, Moses held up what was called the staff of God. And what that staff symbolized was this. That staff was with Moses everywhere that God did something mighty and powerful as they exited out of Egypt. When the 10 plagues came upon the Egyptians, each one of those plagues was started with Moses' staff. When they needed to split the Red Sea, it was the staff of God that Moses held up before the water that split the Red Sea. Even earlier in this chapter, chapter 17 of Exodus we were in, they needed water for their flocks, for the, for the, for the people. And, and so Moses took the staff and hit a rock and water flowed out of this rock to, to help give water to this whole community. People looked at that staff and they saw that as the presence of God with them. And so in this battle, in this fight, in this war, we need to have the presence of God with us as well. And that can look different for different people. Some of you, when you read the Bible, it, you just feel like the presence and power of God all over it and all over you as you read it. Well, when you're engaged in the spiritual conflict, take out your Bible. Use that to help engage the enemy. Some of us in worship, we just feel the presence of God in worship, and it's like something that we can hold out as a staff of victory. And so when, when you get in the battle, when you're engaged in the battle, grab some worship music, put it on, and sing, and, and worship God, and allow the presence of God to flow into that place and move and work in that situation. Whatever it is that is a symbol to you of the presence and power of God, use that to engage the enemy and fight against the attacks. So... We need to pray continuously through the battle. We need to have the Spirit pray for us. We need to surround ourselves with other believers who can hold up our hands. And then we need something to bring us into the presence of God. And that's the start. And that's the foundation of getting engaged in this battle, of getting engaged in this fight. And here is one last stat that goes directly to what we were talking about here. It's the average Christian in America spends three to seven minutes a day in prayer. The average Christian in America spends two hours a day on social media. Is there any question why we're losing the spiritual battles that we face 
on a regular basis, we have got to get engaged. We have got to fight. We've got to spend the time that we need to spend in prayer. We've got to spend the time that we need to spend in allowing the Spirit to intercede and pray for us. We've got to spend the time ushering in God's presence and holding that up as a staff before us if we want to win this battle, if we want to win this fight. Guys, Two hours of social media, and I don't know how many of you are on social media two hours a day or not. Uh, probably half of you probably aren't. But, but the deal is, is that we need to get this flip-flopped so that we can see victory. Because God wants to do something in this land. He wants to do something in this city. He wants to do something through this church. And as I talked about, we've got to get out there, and we've got to battle, and we've got to fight in order to see something happen and something change where we are at. And so flip-flop it. Man, get back to spending the time that we need to spend in the presence of God fighting the battles that we face each and every single day. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.